Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. Let's go into the night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. And how about today? Two coaches hired within five minutes. It's almost like it was a competition. It's almost like it was a sales-driven extravaganza. Whoever gets it in first gets the most compensation. Or as a uh, full-time guy in sales, I I guess I should know what the wording is. Uh, Maybe a draw. Maybe some of you live in a draw. Remember when I started in radio, I was making 25 bucks a week plus 25% of what I sold in God's country, and they didn't even, it was in the fine line that it was a draw. How do you have a draw on 25 bucks? I mean, well, that was back in, uh, in 1994. But uh, anyway, yeah, radio has changed over the years. I have changed. Over the years, has the NFL a lot of talk today about the good old boys network, and I found it interesting that it came out of Carolina since it came a couple of days after the hiring of uh, of Frank Reich, who of course back in the NFL after being Doug Peterson's offensive coordinator in Philadelphia and having some success in Indianapolis, but within the division. Now you get to Miko Ryans, and Houston has now had three head coaches in three years. This is um, incredible, okay? David Culley, remember him? Kind of lost in the in-between of, of Bill O'Brien, David Culley, and then Lovey Smith. David Culley, two years ago, went 4-13. and They promoted from within with Lovey Smith, who went 3-13-1. and now, all of a sudden, it becomes D'Amico Ryans, who, who really looks the part. And he had a phenomenal year. Make no, you know, there's no question about it, what he was able to do uh, this year in, uh, you know, San Francisco as the defensive coordinator. The problem there is, is probably on the other side. And as great as Shanahan is, there's got to be at least – in my world, some explanation as to how you get four quarterbacks injured in one year. And, you know, I, I remember in Tallahassee it happened one year. I remember three quarterbacks went down and, and Florida State played for a national championship against Tennessee. And, you know, that was one scenario. But when you get to the NFL and you do things along these lines, you've got to believe it has something more to do uh, with blocking uh, type principles and are they leaving their tight ends too much on defensive ends not trusting their tackles enough I don't know I'm not sure but I imagine that's going to be part of the process this year in San Francisco and once again we don't even know who officially the quarterback is going to be with Purdy now scheduled for surgery and with a complete absolute 
uh, change and repairment in that elbow, you're talking about six months as a minimum. It could end up being seven, eight, nine months. Uh, do guys like Aaron Rodgers come into play out there? Tom Brady, actually born in NoCal. Uh, could he be in play as well? We'll see. Anyway, back to D'Amico Ryans. He comes into the division, and he will now take over in Houston with an opportunity once again uh, to build that franchise, a franchise that's won seven games in two years. And again, this is going to be their fourth head coach in four years. Um, Nonetheless, that move made today. Sean Payton to Denver. Let me raise my hand here and say I'm a little bit surprised. I really am. I I thought Payton, and I, I don't listen for the most part, uh, to the pregame, in-game, post-game shows on CBS or NBC or or Yahoo or Prime or Fox, or whatever. I just, I, I just don't. I mean, I spent all week getting ready for this show and do everything I can with the Jaguars. I, I, I think they're basically fluff pieces. They just kind of sit around and, and they all laugh, uh, you know, with one another or against one another. So I'd, I'd love to sit here and tell you that Sean Payton did a real good job as an in-studio host or as an in-studio analyst, but I I honestly do not know. My feeling is he would have been better off waiting a year because I could have seen him going to Dallas. I could have seen him going to Miami. I absolutely could have seen him going to one of the two teams in Los Angeles, most prominently where the Chargers are and where Brandon Staley remains. I'd, I'd love to get an idea as to how Charger fans are thinking tonight, but we know there's no such thing, okay? In Denver, in the Mile High City, there's a tremendous amount of fandom, and they got themselves a really good coach. I'm just surprised he elected to go there. The pressure on that job, starting all over, trying to figure out what's going to happen as far as, uh, you know, really being able to uh, solidify what happened at quarterback or what did not happen at quarterback, obviously, with, um, with with Russell Wilson. Sean Payton, to me, would have been better served in one of those jobs waiting another year. But you're talking then about being out of the game uh, for two years. And for him, that was at least one year too many. So a big deal today between New Orleans and Denver The Broncos send their first-round pick, which is actually 29th because it's gone to four different teams now. If you look at when that pick came about and all the trades that have happened over the NFL in the last year plus, they'll give up that plus a 2024 second-round pick in return. They will receive Denver, uh, will receive a 2024 third-round pick. So I don't know if you're aware of this, uh, JJ. Do you realize that this becomes now the sixth coach in the NFL in the modern day era to actually be traded for one team to another was Gruden the last one Herm Edwards actually was I forgot about that after John Gruden all right the first was in 97 and so much of this is documented in one of the great sports books I ever read by Michael Hawley it's it's on Bill Belichick and it's called Patriot Reign and it's really all about just how awful Bill Parcells was <laughs> during the 1996 season. It was his argument with Robert Kraft. It was the 
and and you know Terry Glenn died. You remember that? I, I actually saw that story again. It popped up today. I mean Terry Glenn, he was the one that Parcells referred to as a she, uh, and. Great Par- player. Parcells, yeah. Parcells wanted a defensive guy. I, as a matter of fact, I think he wanted Willie McGinnis, the story may be. Oh, actually, he got McGinnis. I, I, I forget who, who, in fact, it was uh, that, that he wanted. You know, I'm going back, uh, what? This is, this is about 26, 27 years ago. But Parcells, he, they did the paper trail on it. And there was like more than 100 calls that he had made from his hotel room back and forth to New York City and or New Jersey. And all of the flirtation of him leaving the New England Patriots and going to the Jets. And that was actually the first Super Bowl I went to in person. That was in New Orleans when uh, Lord Favre and the Packers beat the Patriots. And they did so on two former Jacksonville Jaguars who were released that year. As soon as New England got a lead, they kicked the ball off the Desmond Howard, former Jaguar, who went 100 yards. And scored on a kick return. And then later in the game, Bad Moon Rising. Lord Favre hit Andre Risen, and that was one of the major difference makers, along with a couple of Reggie White sacks, as to how Green Bay won that Super Bowl. But Parcells didn't even get on the team playing. He did an Urban Meyer long before Urban Meyer. He didn't travel back to Foxborough. Instead, he went straight to New York and took that job with the Jets. So that happened back in 97, a trade between New England and New York, which um, Bill Parcells was the uh, the reason for that move. It happened two years later. Remember Mike Holmgren going from Green Bay uh, to Seattle. The same Mike Holmgren who had knocked off Bill Parcells two years prior in the Super Bowl. Uh, that happened in April of uh, 1999, I believe that was right at the draft or right before the draft when Holmgren went from Green Bay to Seattle. It happened in 2000 with Bill Belichick. Remember, he was going to be the head coach in New York, be the head coach of the Jets, and that thing got totally twisted around, and he ended up in New England. As, uh, as uh, J.J. mentioned, it happened with John Gruden in 2002 when he went from the Raiders to the Bucks. And, of course, Gruden will go on to win a Super Bowl. It's interesting that the last two, Belichick went on to win six Super Bowls. Gruden went on to win a Super Bowl. We know that Herm Edwards, for the most part, is out. He was fired this year at Arizona State. But in 2006, he went from the Jets to the Chiefs. And, of course, Sean Payton today now becomes the sixth coach to go from one spot to another. By the way, the Parcells trade is outrageous. They gave up a first, a second, a third, and a fourth in 1997, all in one draft. Uh, the Belichick trade was uh, a third, a first, a fourth, and a seventh um, for them to release Bill Belichick from his contract with the Jets. Parcells, to me, was one of the first. You know, I was 97. That, all right, so that that was one of the really first documented stories of hatred between an NFL coach and an owner. And, you know, I know it happened different places. I'm sure you can go back and talk about Dick Williams um, and Alvin Dark and the old Oakland A's and, and the battles they had with, with Charlie Finley. And, you know, Al Davis historically has had some wars. But, I mean, that that was 
part of the movement. That was a huge part of it where Parcells said, if I'm going to be the cook, I should be able to shop for the groceries. And it was so interesting because right here in Jacksonville, Tom Coughlin, who took this job in 94, and of course the franchise would begin in 95, Michael Hugh was here and others were here uh, to do different things in and around the team. But there was no question. This was to become the era of doing two things at one time, not only being your head coach, but also being the decision maker as far as free agency, the draft, and the final 53-man roster. Parcells was a huge part of that. Obviously, that grew year by year for Tom Coughlin when he was here, and it happened several other places as well uh, around the NFL. Who, who right now? I mean, happy birthday, Doug Peterson. Today is his birthday. I believe he's 54, 55. I don't want to date him. He's somewhere in that neighborhood. But after what he just did, and you know, I put this out on Twitter tonight, JJ. I went back and did the math. I don't know if you saw it. I, I think I, I know you follow me on Twitter, but the word around the block is you have me muted. <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> uh, the, the, the rivalry of the uh, producer and the host. Yeah, he follows him, but he's got a mute. Um, is there is there anything more uh, passive aggressive than muting someone? By the way, because you're still following them. You know, you're they're still following you. So you want that impression that we're all cool here, but really. You don't ever have to see what they have to say. I have an admission to make. Oh, here, okay. here we go. I have an admission. You know, <laughs> you know my technical prowess, lack of savviness, yes. okay? I just found out about muting Oh wow! not too long ago. I don't think I've ever blocked anyone. Oh, wow. And now Good that I you. found the mute button, I found there's two people out there <laughs> that I, I finally just can't take it anymore so i i've hit them on mute but you know i i wish i actually knew about these gadgets uh a little bit earlier as i said are we on youtube tonight because every night I, I every night i say i'm going to learn how to respond i respond to everyone that i can on the text line brought to you by lifetime enclosures but i don't respond on youtube because i don't know how to sign up on youtube um all you have to do go to youtube mm-hmm. search 1010xl we will be the first video, and if you would like to comment, you do have to make an account. It is free. Put your email in, put your name in, and uh, come talk to us. Anyway, your Twitter account. Yeah, Doug Peterson. You know, I, I just want, we just went through six coaches. Who would become? Forever the answer would have been Belichick. I think now, at the age of 70, and... Where things are, would you be willing to give up all of that draft capital to go out and get Bill Belichick? Now, now, obviously, we saw today that Denver's willing to give up a lot to get Sean Payton, who's, what, 10, 12 years younger. But if you go around the league, who is the hottest commodity? If Doug Peterson wasn't here and Shanahan. it cost you a first-round draft pick, Going with Shanahan? Oh, if it, if I had to, so I don't have Doug Peterson here. Yeah, you know, or just because I wouldn't give up a first rounder for any coach right now. Okay, let's that, make that, that clear. That's, that's how my confident answer. I am. Not with even Doug. a twenty. Not even a, we're not talking about a number one pick here. We're talking about the twenty fourth pick of Doesn't the first matter. round. 
To me, yeah. that that we have a good enough coach here in Jacksonville to where I think it would be silly to trade anything for another one. But if I was just you know the Texans or whoever, Shanahan's my guy. I am obsessed with Kyle Shanahan. I've always loved him, and this year just made me love him even more. Andy Reid comes to mind. Of course, I don't, I don't know if you could pry him. And he's older. I mean, how much longer does he really have? He's sixty-four. Um, Shanahan is one. It's it's a little too early to completely gush over Dayball because it's only been one year. But certainly, there's a guy uh, that that does come to mind to me. We had ten coaching changes last year. We had seven the year prior to that. We're in the midst of five changes this year with two vacancies still open. For those of you joining us for the first time, Sean Payton to Denver, D'Amico Ryans to Houston, Frank Reich to Carolina. That leaves two jobs. There's not like there's a long list of coaches right now that you just say, well, he's the one. He's the one. Nick Sirianna. Nick Sirianna's going to face Andy Reid. Andy Reid fired Nick Sirianna. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. He did. I believe he was special teams coach, uh, when in fact he was let go. Um, I mean, can you imagine again being in Los Angeles if you care about the Chargers, knowing that you still have Brandon Staley on your sideline when you had an opportunity to get Sean Payton? So I'm just looking at coaches what right about now. McVay? Yeah, but what happened this year? I mean, all those rumors that he wanted to leave and do television, he's Very making commercials weird. and and they got old fast. Uh, they had a lot of injuries, but yeah, that was strange. You 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 know you normally see the team that loses the Super Bowl doesn't make the playoffs and takes a huge step back. Not the team that won it. Bills Mafia was crushing Sean McDermott after their loss two weeks ago. I'm real big on Zach Taylor. Um, John Harbaugh consistent. Year after year after year, I wonder if his best football has passed him by. Mike Tomlin, you know, Pittsburgh has won, what, three playoff games now in the last nine years? Yikes. Um, That's not – so, you know, it it feels like we always talk about how many great quarterbacks there are, and we're going to get into it during the offseason, but, I, you know, I was reading last week that there could be as many as 19 out of the 32 teams – who start a different quarterback to begin Whoa. the 2023 regular season. Think about that for a moment. 19 of 20. Now, all of this would have to, Aaron Rodgers would get traded. Lamar Jackson would go somewhere but else. all of that, that wouldn't yeah. be shocking. Tom Brady's going somewhere else. Not I mean, a shock. All of that stuff's going to have to happen. But I don't think we talk enough about how many great coaches are there in the NFL. In you know, I'm older than you, but w- when I grew up, there was an era, and we saw this get replaced in college football, and, you know, I guess for the same uh, time period that was still going on in college football, but when I was growing up, man, it was Mike Ditka in the Chicago Bears. It was Don Shula. In the Miami Dolphins. It was Bill Walsh in the San Francisco 49ers. Chuck Knoll in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tom Landry and the Dallas Cowboys. All right, Vince Lombardi was a little bit before my time. But even guys like um, Marv Levy 
and his Buffalo Bills and Chuck Knox and his Minnesota Vikings. When you go to the league now, outside of Bill Belichick and and, and maybe Andy Reid and, I don't know, maybe Mike Tomlin, how many teams, when you think of the 32 teams, you immediately think of the head coach? I was going to say even Reid I wouldn't because I just I grew up watching him for the Eagles. I mean, they were so good. He was there for so long. It's hard for me to just be like, think of him as just the Chiefs guy. Um, you know, they did go to a Super Bowl. They did go to like a thousand NFC title games. I would say it's just Tomlin and just Belichick. And I think it's just the era we're in. You know, like you have to win now. Like you, you, you got Peterson getting a grace period of like two seasons after winning a Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. In Philly. That's it. Like that's where we're at as, uh, I guess, owners and, and fans. We're just so quick. To get rid of these guys, when and it's you just not mentioned McVay. Season. I mean, McVay. You got to believe in some circles is going to begin this year on the hot seat. Sort of, yeah. I mean, if there was a more rabid fan base there, probably. You know, like a Philly type fan base, I think we'll get a little more leeway because how many Rams fans are there? Man, there were coaches. Yeah, there were coaches like Marty Schott, like Dan Reeves in Denver. There were coaches like Marty Schottenheimer. Go back and look at his record. How incredible he was in Kansas City and Cleveland, much like, um, oh, I can't think of his name right now. Who's coach, the guy with the Chargers? Coach Coach Lewis. Who, who was the coach with uh, Cincinnati for all those years who couldn't win a playoff Oh, yeah, game? Lewis. Yeah, uh, Schottenheimer and Lewis, two coaches. If Marvin you, Lewis. Yeah, Marvin Lewis. If you look at their regular season pedigree, it's like, man, these guys are both headed towards the Hall of Fame. Their problem is they couldn't win once you got into the month of January. It's it's fascinating right now. It really is. And, you know, there's a couple of teams that saw through this. I got to bring up Cincinnati. Go back and look at the first couple of years of what Zach Taylor did in Cincinnati. I want to say he had about seven or eight combined wins in his first couple of years. But this is the way that the league is. You, you have like a year and that's it. And in the case of Houston, they fired two coaches in two years. Now, three coaches in three years if you go to O'Brien in his final season. So, when you're D'Amico Ryan's, man, it doesn't have to be the first part of the process. He's like, hey, guys, look Can at this organization. Can you give me at least two years, please? I mean, you fired coaches <laughs> after one season. All right. And it's not like they were supposed to be good that season. You fired the guys after one season where they were favored to be the worst team in the league. Both times. In college football, it was the same deal. Barry Switzer and Tom Osborne and, you know, Bowden and Spurrier and Paterno and and you can go back to Woody Hayes and Bear Bryant and, you know, they tried a lot of different coaches after the Bear. It didn't really work out well until Gene Stallings. But even in the college game right now, I'll, I'll give you Saban. I'll give you Dabo. Who else in the college Kirby. game right now? Okay, yeah, you got to get, absolutely. The guys won back-to-back natties. But like two years ago, we would have said Jimbo. He's <laughs> gone now. It, 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 is Harbaugh, is anyone in the Big Ten? Harbaugh, to me, no. Harbaugh's been there for a while, but he's constantly teasing going back to the NFL. You know, I wouldn't even be shocked if he, if this is his last year there. Oklahoma's had changes, Nebraska's had changes, Notre Dame has had changes, the entire Pac-12 has had changes, the Big 12, no, 
the Atlantic Coast Conference, not named Dabo Sweeney? No. How about in the stored SEC? I mean, honestly, two years ago, three years ago, I was sure won a national title. Mm. They're working on their third coach. It would Brian Kelly. That's a great example because LSU not only won a national title, they won a national title with the most Louisiana person of all time. Like the guy who can relate to the fan base better than anyone on earth, and they still fired his ass. Well, anyway, what I'm getting at is are coaches overrated, or is this just part of a fluid scenario in a win-now culture? And, you know, it applies in every sport. We could do this in hockey and basketball, and we could do this in baseball uh, as well. But football, and, and, you know, for the record, that same thing applies to me when I think of, you know, classic Major League Baseball skippers. You stayed with Sparky Anderson, man. You stayed with Tommy Lasorda. You, I was going to say you stayed with Billy Martin, but George you Steinberg fired him about fire, twelve times. He fired him you six times. With him, but you stayed with Earl <laughs> Weaver, and, and and you know you you Bobby stayed with Cox. yeah. You stayed with the great managers. Uh, today it's like, it, it, but I I think a lot of fans like that, and social media proves that you like it in game. You know, it's fire this guy, fire that guy. He's got to go, got to go. And obviously, a lot of people change their mind uh, depending. Feels like on you have a lot of power. Of you know, yeah. as a fan, you have a lot more power than you used to. You know, if, oh, if all of us can put clown emojis or whatever, we can get our guy out of here. You know, back in the day, I don't even know what you did to complain. Call on the radio station, I guess. Uh, yeah, you'd have to go to like letter to the editor McDonald's and fail out a complaint card, <laughs> or, or or show up at the coach's house. I tell you what, you did. You went to a bar and and, yeah. and, and you screamed. That that's exactly. We need to get back there as a country. Uh, what you did. Happy birthday, Doug Peterson. He is fifty-five years of age today. He was born in Bellingham, Washington. Played his college football at Northeast Louisiana, which I believe has changed. Isn't that isn't that the same school that produced uh, our our buddy Tim Brando, which is Louisiana Monroe? Correct. I said that that has changed. It is now Monroe. Yeah, it, it has changed. And uh, of course, he had a he had a very long career. He was undrafted in '91, but he played with the Dolphins. He played with the New Jersey Knights. He went back to Miami. He he was the first. Here's a little bar bet for you, because I think most people are going to say Steve Berline uh, was here, but you know Kerry Collins. You know the first quarterback ever was for the Carolina Panthers when they came into the league the same time that the Jaguars did. No idea. Doug Peterson. Whoa. Back in 1995. So he made the first start for them. I don't know if he made the start, but he was the first one on the roster. As a matter of fact, let me look that up during the break because we got to take one. I, I think I've overshot the runway here just a tiny bit. He uh, he played for Miami again in 95, uh, was on that Super Bowl winning team in 96 in Green Bay, backing up Lord Favre. He was there for four years, went to Philly, Cleveland, and then back to Green Bay. So a very distinguished uh, playing career. Didn't Didn't play all that much, but... Man, he's going to have a great pension. He was in the league for, mm, what, 14 years when it was all said and done for Doug Peterson. All right, we got a lot to do. The best way to get a hold of us, as always, is on the text line. 
That is brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures, and that number is 641-1010. Into the Night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. What's the old Steely Dan? Oh, it was still September. When your daddy was quite surprised to find you with the working girls in the county jail. Be careful out there. The sting, it's on. They got to hit their quota, just like we do in sales. Yeah? <laughs> hey, mister. Beep, beep. Hey, mister. I love it. I, I was um, playing with my uh Retired police officer, uh, Larry Baker, last week. Great man. And uh, we were having conversations about several different things, but they really have cleaned up Phillips. Yeah, it's getting to the point now where I think we got to sit down as a, as a show and discuss whether or not the Phillips Highway stroll is still relevant. I mean, we did have that big sting a few weeks ago. They cost a lot of guys. They got their name in the newspaper. I don't know what newspaper it was. Um, actually, I think it was the Florida Times Union that, that put them in there. I'm, I, I don't remember, honestly. But it's not the way it used to be. Do we need to pick a different street? <sighs> That's tradition, though. End of an era. May, all we need is like a a major incident, and then we're back in. You know, we need, like, Stacy Mack to roll in the town. If we can get him in here, then, you know, the former Jag, uh, then that may give us a little something. Unfortunately, when they came out with it, like, six weeks, two months ago, they were a bunch of nameless, faceless guys, and it, it didn't carry over anything. So you play for two years here. And your only lasting memory is you got caught trying to pick up a prostitute. Well, That's a shame. We're all identified by something. By something. I mean, there are people out there that are like, oh, Baloo, aren't you the one who punched your boss? <laughs> Whoa. I'm like, man, I've been in radio for 30, 30 years now, 30 years in one month, and that's all you got? <laughs> Is that when I was at the ball, I hit my boss? I mean, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, Stacy Max got 19 touchdowns for the Jags. But it happens. I mean, with that push out of bounds mm-hmm. with the rookie, you know, I mean, I compared it to Bill Buckner. Bill Buckner was... If you look at the guys going to the Hall of Fame now, Bill Buckner, look at his numbers. He is arguably close to being a Hall of Fame. He, he's not one, but he's, he's with Steve Garvey, Dale Murphy, uh, Dave Parker, Dick Allen, um, Al Oliver. He, he's in that mix with those, Lou Whitaker, with those type of numbers. Great numbers. And... He'll only ever be remembered mm-hmm. for the era. What, what's Urban Meyer going to be remembered for? Okay, <laughs> college football fans will remember the titles, but around here, they, they're going to forget about 06 and 08. They're going to remember him not coming home on the team plane, groping a young lady in a bar in Ohio, or kicking Josh Lambeau in the teeth. It's like you win a Heisman Trophy, and all these people want to talk about is the fact that you slain your ex-wife and uh, a French waiter. Whoa! (laughs) Whoa! Whoa! 
Yeah, Herb Knight not quite on Orenthal James level yet. Pete Carroll in Seattle, someone said. Oh, I'll give you that's that. a good one. Absolutely Although he was at USC for so long before that. And he was like the eighth eighth choice at USC. I didn't know that. Shanahan blew the Super Bowl with Atlanta. They didn't give him a chance to let him pretty hand off the ball. Yes, happened. Absolutely, Atlanta was, was um, to this day, was unforgiving. Um, he also to wasn't say, it's unforgiving. coach. It's unforgiving. It, it's, it's like some of these coaches hang on. He became a head coach out of that. I mean, that was 28-3. Look at the game here, 27 nothing. How did – in a world now where these guys are getting fired, it's such a routine. How did Brandon Staley survive a 27 nothing? Melt. I mean, thank God it happened. But how did he survive that? After last season screw up on the last week of the season, where I don't remember the specifics, but he could have taken a draw or a tie, as they say in America, um, and then still got into the playoffs. Instead, tried to go for it, if I remember correctly. Didn't get it. Blew their chance. They ended up losing and didn't go to the playoffs. So it's not like... He's coming off a great season and like, okay, we'll get over the fact that he gave up a 27-point lead because of what happened last year. This is like even worse. I was shocked that he was uh, allowed back on into the building. Yeah, and he's he's like, um, what word am I looking for? Really kind of moronic. I mean, he's a <laughs> moron because he's acting like cocky about it. Well, I, I don't know. You could say I got out coach for a, a half. I mean, this – there's no way around it. You lost a 27 nothing lead, man. 27 nothing. And what was it like? Their fi- 27 nothing. And I want to say, honestly, their final 32 plays. They passed it 25 times and they ran it seven times. Yeah, well, they there was nine runs because I think there was a couple sacks. But, yes, seven running plays or something like that. Hey, Baloo, what's up? Play some Lou Reed. Every night with this guy. We can do that. We can play some Lou. I only know Walk on the Wild Side. Yeah, but you know, he, Lou Reed was all, he was a huge part of the, you know, the whole American uh, version of, um, what am I looking for? The Sex Pistols and the punk? Clash. and Yeah, kind of the punk movement. You know, he was... He was New York's um, major punk uh, movement and, you know, kind of started underground. Obviously, he was with the Velvet Underground. That's By the way, he's a two-time rock and roll. We mentioned it the other night, two-time rock and roll Hall of Famers. He's in with the Velvet Underground, and obviously he's in on his own. But I'm just not into, the, like, the talking and the... Yeah. That's not my thing. I'm not... Not hating on Lou Reed. It's just not really my style, but we will come back with Lou Reed. Yeah, we'll do that. I mean, he was, you know, he he was a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, a mix, some Iggy Pop, uh, some David Bowie. He, he, uh, you know, Bowie had the Ziggy Stardust. Lou Reed kind of had like the, he was one of the original like alter ego type guys that which, like he went by a different name or, or just acted as a different personality <laughs> okay there's only been a few i mean out and john did it with those ridiculous costumes but i mean the whole ziggy stardust deal was enormous for david bowie and 
you know, Bono did it during the zoo tour when he played like the fly and, and stuff like that. What about Chris Gaines? I know you're not a country guy, but Garth Brooks in the 90s started going by Chris Gaines, who was like a a pop rock guy who like wore black and had long hair. Oh, I thought you were going to say that's when he put on 100 pounds and he could no longer scratch the crap off the back of his boots. He had to get someone to do it for him. <laughs> that wasn't the case? No, I don't believe so. Garth, Garth is great because he'll re- he's retired like nine times. The only one who's retired more than him is, uh, is, uh, is Floyd Mayweather <laughs> yeah. or, or yeah. any other boxer. For, for for that matter. Truly. You don't retire when you're a singer. I guess Barbara Streisand did it as well. Well, we had a texter a few weeks ago tell us that he was at the uh, Rolling Stones, like their last tour in 1988. <laughs> <laughs> That's the greatest. Yeah. It's our farewell tour yeah. in 1988. <laughs> By the way, the Stones are getting, apparently they're getting set to announce another huge oh tour. God. In 2023. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right, we got plenty to do. Best way to get us is on the text line again. Six. Let's go into the night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Me and Asota. And last night, space with our room. Last night, bacon and ice cream. That's what last night we got you. That's you got what a little read, you ask. JJ's going to deliver. No doubt about it. Um, I need to go back and clean a few things up. I, I, I said I went to Twitter. I never told you what I put on Twitter. It was big. It was in celebration of Doug Peterson. On his birthday, I have to get there to 1370. He says, Baloo, I thought it was Frank Reich who was the Carolina quarterback you were talking about. Well, both were there, okay? What happened is Peterson was selected in the 22nd round of the expansion draft by Carolina. Remember, that was a two-team draft. It was Carolina and Jacksonville. And... That was on February 15th, 1995. He was released on May 24th. He returned to the World League and played for the uh, Rain Fire. Now, Frank Reich was the first ever quarterback in Carolina history to throw a touchdown in their first game. He threw it to the former Buffalo Bill, Pete Metzelars. So there you go. Both have uh, and did have um, careers in Carolina, although I'll, the career for Doug Peterson in Carolina was very similar to the career that Josh Gaddis had here in Jacksonville, who, of course, was, legends. was fired this week as the offensive coordinator for the Miami Hurricanes. Let me see real quick here with Reich. Who he, caught the first touchdown for the Jags, if you remember? He played here for one year, uh, played in Carolina for one year. Then he moved off to uh, the Jets, and then in 97-98, it was Detroit. First touchdown here, I thought it was James Stewart on the ground. I, uh, That's a good question. I, I, I don't know. What was the first official game? I remember they got absolutely blown out in Detroit. Um, hell, I don't know. I don't remember. I honestly do not. 
I, I got that in the media guide. I got to look it up very easily. First time ever. Uh, so their first game, they uh, took an L. Yeah. Uh, to the Houston Oilers, three to ten. Ten three. So they didn't have a touchdown in that game. Mm-hmm. Next game against the Cincinnati Bengals, they lost seventeen to twenty four. Didn't say who got the first touchdown. I'm looking. Wikipedia sucks, so I had to go to a different website. All right. Randy Jordan. Ah. 71-yard pass from Steve Berline uh, to make it 7-3 to three Jags. So, Randy Jordan. Now, is that the first ever touchdown or the first pass reception? Both. For a touchdown. Okay. I did not know that. That's a great bar bit. No doubt about it. Um, I tweeted this out today as I was talking about Doug Peterson, and, and this is all you need to know. If you're a numbers guy, and again, I, I still, I, I get really perplexed with today's math. Okay, and we're always adding new math, and the analytics are taking over, and we're finding new ways to rank or break down what a team does offensively, defensively, and in special teams. I've said this forever, and I'm going to stay with it. I've never understood why total offense and total defense is the number one, I I guess, criteria to rank the offense and the defense. For me, it's always been about scoring offense, and it's always been about scoring defense. But those are their rules, okay? Um, I look at it a little bit differently. But here's what I put on Twitter. Uh, The Jags were minus 204 points last year in, in point differential. They scored a franchise low 14.9 points. Obviously, I'm talking about the 2021 season on offense and allowed 26.9 on defense. That's an average of 12 points a game. Again, you 12 times 17, that's minus 204. They allowed 204 more points than they scored during the 2021 season. This year, okay, this year in 2022, They shaved 6.3 points off their defense to go to 20.6 a game and increased the offense to 23.8 points. That's 8.9 points better from a season ago. So overall, they went from minus 12 a game in point differential in 2021 to plus 3.2 a game in 2022. That's a difference of 15.2 points a game. A game. 15.2. Yeah, I mean, let that sink in. It, the late John Clayton, I'll never forget. And, and, and he's the one that turned really turned me on to this. Okay, I was sitting with John Clayton at a combine, who knows when. I, I'm guessing 2015, 2016. I'm guessing it was that because it, th- there was a little bit of an improvement by the Jaguars, and I, I, I honestly don't even remember the year it was or what side of the ball it was. Okay, but in the year that I was with John Clayton, and I had John on a ton, but he, he had talked about how Jacksonville had improved by like five points. And again, I don't remember what side of the ball he was talking about because I honestly just don't remember the year that we were having this discussion in February at the Combine in Indianapolis. And he said, well, let's just say he said defense. 
He said, you took five points off the defense. Can you now this year improve five points more on offense? And if you are taking five off your D and and adding five in your offense, and you do that over the years, in this league, so many games come down to last team with the ball, last possession, field goal is the difference, five points going either way can make such a huge difference between wins or losses. So I remember when Clayton was was going through that, and he also added how hard it was to actually increase by five offensively or decrease by five defensively. So ever since that conversation, I've, I've really become a, a huge stickler with this um, Certainly here, you know, I've done it with my school as well at Florida State and others. I It's something that I that I always look at. There's a lot of different numbers that I pay attention to. But again, not to be redundant, to me, the most important statistic of all is what you score and what you allow, right? What you score and what you allow your opponent to score. 15.2 points in one year. Now, I don't even know how. You would register, you know, how you could figure this out. Um, I- I'm sure there are ways, and I I go to quite a few different NFL uh, statistical uh, platforms. Some are better than other, depending on what type of numbers you're looking for. If that makes any sense, like I was spending a lot of time last week on missed tackles. The Jaguars ended up either eighth or ninth in the NFL in missed tackles, and um, you know, you look at Cincinnati; they were second. Yet that one play where four guys, uh, you know, missed uh, – who was it? Was it Pacheco? Pacheco, yeah. Four guys missed it you know, on that particular play. So, anyway, I just – on Doug Peterson's birthday, I just wanted to throw that out there again for you. I mean – that A lot of that is red zone scoring. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think about – the difference between a field goal and a touchdown in the red zone makes all the difference in a lot of these games with the Jags. And I feel like I have no stats to back this up, but I feel like second half of the season, they were putting it in the end zone, where in the first half, I felt like they settled for a lot of field goals. Jaguars red zone scoring, was they were 17th in the NFL, 55.38%. But I remember a year ago, they were like, they were exactly 51%. I mean, so you improve there by four point. You know, but it's about 4.4 points, um, percentage points. Yeah, I mean, certainly not perfect, but better. Okay, they're on the come there with that. You know, Jacksonville. Where is, are league leaders-ish, percentage-wise? Well, Kansas City was number one at 70. Oh, wow. I remember talking <laughs> about that before yeah. the game. And, and, and what happened, and what happened in-game? Kansas City was three for three exactly. in red zone. They got 21 points out of it. Kansas City was number one at 70%. Jackson was number 17 at 55.38%. So, you know, even moving up 4.4% from a year ago is a sizable increase. And that was kind of the increase that Clayton, now this is a different category, but that's what Clayton was telling me about when we were talking about this years ago. These are numbers that are often overlooked. And... I would absolutely expect that particular number to absolutely increase now that, you know, for the most part, you're going to have the same guys back and the same staff back 
this is where you start to get better. J- Jacksonville was not good on third and one. Jacksonville this year on third and one was 20 of 32. Okay, 62.5% on third and one. Uh, they were 24th in the NFL. And just think about how many times third and short, then you ended up going for it on fourth and short, and you, you made some, you didn't make some. That's another component that, that absolutely this football team is is going to want to improve upon. I also didn't think they were very good on fourth down. Yeah. Uh, they're middle of the road. Or 12, actually. They finished 53%. But, I mean, you look at some of the ones in the top. Uh, obviously, they didn't go for it as much, but, you know, they're at in the 70s. They were so bad last year at 14.9. That that is a <laughs> that is a franchise. Oh, my God. That is a franchise. 14.9 as far as scoring per game. Oh, okay, okay. okay. 14.9 points a Still game. Still terrible. That, that is the worst in franchise history. So, again, they, they made the improvement by nearly nine points. They went from 14.9 to 23.8. Yet, why do I believe next year that number, the goal should be in the 26-27 Area, you know, and there's certain things that they can prove on. We just looked at red zone scoring. This team led the league in drops with 41. We gave you third and one needs improvement. What about third down efficiency? They improved to 41.9% this year, 11th in the NFL. Marked improvement. A year ago, they were 35.9. So again, 35.9 to 41.9, that's six points. It may not seem, six percentage points, it may not seem like that's that big of a deal trust me it is it's a huge difference third down efficiency 41.9 percent can they get that up to 45 46 percent and then you're looking at like 11 12 win team you you really are I mean that's that's the beautiful thing about this football team they only got blown out in one game they were absolutely annihilated in Detroit. It, you know, opening day, you, you blew a 22-14 fourth quarter lead to Washington. You shut out the Colts. You blow out L.A. in L.A. Philadelphia, you blow a 14-0 lead. The Texans, you, you throw an interception in the, in the end zone. Houston, uh, at Indianapolis a week later, you have a 27-26 lead. And you give up eight unanswered uh, to Indy at Indy. The Giants, you have a 17-13 fourth quarter lead. You lose 23-17. Denver and London, we all know about that. You know, the turnover again in the in the end zone uh, for Trevor Lawrence, and, and you know, they had a 17-14 lead. They end up losing 21-17. And then, and then you look at all the comebacks that they had. You know, Las Vegas and Baltimore and Tennessee and Dallas and and certainly, um, you know, Tennessee with the pick very late in the year. And then obviously what happened here against Los Angeles. The, the, the point I'm making, man, you, you fix little things. And instead of being 9-8, and eight, man, you... You're looking at a 12, 13, 14 win type of season. Now, everything's got to come together. But that's the good thing about looking ahead. 
is there's so many what ifs. We we can't what if it in 2021 and in 2020. You can't. This team, you can. They're getting closer all the time. All right, let's get ready for our second hour. It's great to have you with us. Rick Ballew along with JJ tonight till 10. Rest of the week, we'll be with you from 6 until 8 o'clock. Into the Night with Rick Ballew on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Of rock and roll is there a band who likes to talk about libations and spirits more than the great Steely Dan? I don't know. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? But with um, Steely Dan, it's a lot of a lot of booze talk, and you know, this smoking doobies, not not the hardcore drugs that so many rockers. Stay safe like Steely Dan, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Stick to the alcohol. Man, I'm almost done with that Rod Stewart book. What a legend that man was. Really? Oh. The off, amount of, off stage. The amount of women, the models that he had. Oh, my gosh, man. And he just didn't. He tried his best. You know, back doors and underground. and But he was always getting caught. It <laughs> happens to the best. Hey, man, what a legend. I uh, really enjoyed that. I, I kind of wish faces stuck around a little bit more. But um, I remember being in the same bar the one time with my girlfriend and the girl I was cheating on her with. Oh, really? uh, yes. And um, this is why you have good wingmen, because my friends were there. They noticed the situation. They distracted the young lady that I was my mistress, I guess you could say, while me and my girl quickly left after I told her some fake reason why we had to leave. I don't think you can call it a mistress if you're not married. Yeah, it was just some I think you call girl, it a, I think the me. correct term is a side piece. <laughs> yeah, side chick. Oh. Well, I don't know what to tell you there, man. Oh, it was just it's a funny story. No longer with her, obviously, and I do not cheat on my girl. That I'm with now, mm-hmm. of course, right? Never will. I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. Um, let's get back to this. Did you look at Miami's schedule? I did. Get, well, let's take a look at it. And, and we did Florida State schedule late last night. We'll take another peek at that. But let's let's look at the Canes schedule. I, I I looked at it a little bit earlier today. I had me somewhere in the neighborhood of like a anywhere from a six and six to an eight and four. That's, what did you I have? I was thinking eight ish. Um I think they lose once again. I know everyone's like, oh you can't lose to this Texas A and M team after last season. Watch. Miami's going to lose to Texas A and M. that's week two. We'll see. I think they're going to lose to Clemson at home. 
Well, you uh, got Miami of Ohio, then A&M. Okay, so yeah, if we want to go in order. First of all, if you lose week one to Miami of Ohio, I can just see the jokes. They're writing themselves. Oh, the no. real Miami, the fake Miami. There's going to be so many meme, Miami memes. You cannot lose this game, okay? So I take that as a win. Uh, week two, at home against A&M. I'm sure it'll be a Saturday night primetime game. I think they lose. It will not be Ed Reed and Bethune Cookman. <laughs> yeah, Bethune will be playing Miami. That'll be a yeah. Thursday night without. It Ed will Reed. not be Manny Diaz and at Temple. No, but you know who it will be. Uh, isn't Temple's new coach uh, uh, Willie? Uh, I Willie make, Taggart. I got, hold on. Wait a minute. It, 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 I, there's no, no way not. I could have missed. Not. There's no way I could have missed <laughs> Willie Taggart. I was kind of hoping you guys were going to bring him on as a new offensive that coordinator. That was rumored. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, well, he's a free agent right now. Okay. Well, I think- free agent. He's getting paid from like every <laughs> yeah, zip sure. code in this state. So I think that's a win. So that puts him at 3-1. and one. Georgia Tech at home, that's a win. Here we go. North Carolina on the road. Mm. We always lose that game. I think it's going to be a loss, and I think the next week at home against Clemson – Wow. Will also be a loss. Um, Virginia after that, NC State after that. I actually think that's two wins, even though it did take four overtimes to beat Virginia last year. Mm -hmm. But then you have Florida State on the road, definitely a loss. I mean, if we're assuming that, um, you know, Florida State's quarterback stays healthy, this it is late in the season. It's the third to last game. But if things go according to plan, Miami will lose that game. And then you end the season at home, Louisville, on the road, Boston College. So if you will win both those, you get to 8-4, and four, a very respectable season, in my opinion, uh, after just a diabolical year one for Mario. Yeah, you got some tough games with A&M early, and then at North Carolina is difficult. Clemson is hard. NC State, Florida State on the road are going to be difficult. Boy, at BC there. On a Friday, November 24th, you know it's going to be bitterly cold. That's true. I didn't even think about that. Mm -hmm. Um, We have two Friday games and a Thursday game. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the ACC. Yeah. I hate that. Uh, Again, let's look at the Knowles. They have all Saturday games this year. They had a couple of games that were, what, I think they had a Thursday night, and certainly the Gator game was a Saturday. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, matchup. Uh, as a matter of fact, the the LSU game is is on a Sunday. Okay, that is on Sunday, September third. That'll be in Orlando, same as it was this year uh, to kick off the season for Florida State. Yeah, last year in the uh, you know in, in the Superdome in New Orleans. This year it'll be in Orlando. See that this is where Jack Jacksonville's got to once they fix downtown, they got to start getting these games. The stadium in Orlando is nothing to brag about. Certainly, the surrounding area <laughs> in Orlando not. is it, it's a dump. Well, it reminds me of the USC Coliseum, or it reminds me of the old Miami Orange Bowl. I mean, it's like yes. terrifying neighborhoods. Um, yeah. So anyway, Florida State, uh, LSU on on opening day. Then it's Southern Miss. Then they go on the road for two. I like getting BC early. It won't be as cold on September 16th. Then again, it is Boston. It's It can get cold, but I would certainly rather play there then as opposed to what we just talked about with Miami, who goes there you know, two months later on, uh, on November 24th. At Clemson, early, real early this year. 
September 23rd. Earliest okay. since 2014. Wow. Vatech rolls in on October 7th. And we talked about this when the schedule came out last night. I saw quite a few viral stuff on this today. That was Willie Taggart's first game. I that, do have an update on Willie Taggart, by the way. What do you have? He is part of the coaching staff at Colorado. Dion brought yes, him. Yes, he did. Dion brought in Mike Zimmer uh, to help run that defense. Which a genius move. Yeah, I, I, let me get to Dion here in a second. He did something the other day that I want to talk about that, that I thought was fascinating. Um, the Vatek game in God's country, Willie Taggart's first game, is truly one of the most embarrassing moments as a Florida State graduate. I mean, it was. That, that was one of those deals. They were swag, sir. It was like a 30 nothing loss to Wake or South Florida, whatever it was, 30-31. I mean, I... I was embarrassed. I, I, I like. I wore more hoodies that week, and it was a hundred degrees outside. I just needed to hide myself, <laughs> like with those glasses with the fake nose and mustache. I on. mean, do you remember? <laughs> do you remember the surfing they were doing Swag and all that? Surfing. Oh, I was like, you've got to be kidding all me! All season, all you heard about was how Willie Taggart's got all these kids on board. They love them. I mean, they're they're so oh. ready to change things around in Florida or in Tallahassee and. They lay. I was having egg. so much fun tonight. This show was just so great, and everything was coming together. I, I honestly think it was going to be one of the greatest shows I've ever done in thirty years in one month. And then I thought about the Willie Taggart surf swag. <laughs> swag. I mean, I almost gave up my allegiance. I was so embarrassing. <laughs> These guys are rocking back and forth. The sidelines rocking back and forth. The stadiums rocking back. And Vatek goes like seventy-five yards on six plays and Opening puts it in. Drive. And then Florida State responds with a Nooney touchdown, the Nooney Murray. Yet here's a shocker: the officials get it wrong, and Willie doesn't review it, and they can't punch it in. Yeah, it, anyway. national TV as well. 24 to 3. Oh, my buddies were hammering me. Not not so much here, but back my, my Boston buddies were just slicing me. But Boston buddies are Boston buddies only come around when they know you're down. Okay? They're, <laughs> I got friends like that. They're, they're great that way. <laughs> yeah, I didn't hear much about them this year when Florida State kept winning these games. Florida State loses these games. I'm hearing from guys I haven't heard from, you know, until like – well, actually, I shouldn't say that. I, I, I talk with them routinely, but I, I think you know what I'm getting at. All right, Syracuse the week after. Here's, inter- here's what's interesting. Florida State has three straight home games. So I think that's, that's good news for the team. It's not great news for fans. You know, it's not spread out. And if you look at the competition, it depends on how you look at it. Vatek, Syracuse, Duke. In my eyes, that's win, win, win. Are folks more tailored to go to games that are more competitive? Or are there people that tend to go to games that they feel like there's a really good chance that they are going to win? And again, I don't want to dismiss all of this and say Florida State is going to show up and win. They've had one winning season now. In, in quite a few years, I, I remember getting into a healthy argument with David Lamb about this probably 10, 15 years ago. He's like, you want to drive all the way over to, to Tallahassee and see Florida State win by 50 points? I'm like, hell yeah. I yes. 
What, are you kidding uh, yeah, me? Is that a joke? I mean, you have any idea Those how Those are my favorite games to go to. you have any idea how good the Miller Lights taste? Yeah. And, and every, he's like, wouldn't you rather go over there and, and see a real competitive game? No. And I'm like, nope, no, 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 no. During those games, I, I like to lock myself alone in my bar just by myself so I can yell and scream and kick and punch and do anything I want to survive it if I'm going to go to a game. Yeah. I'd rather win by 50 points. Yeah, some of my favorite games to go to, like, I'm thinking of one Florida A&M versus Miami game to open the season on, like, a Thursday night I went to in a half-empty stadium, and you're just destroying them by 50 points, and you're smoking in the crowd. Like, it's just fun. Like, there's nothing better than that. You're enjoying the fam. You band at halftime. Love those games. It's the greatest. It really (laughs) is. And, listen, the last thing I'm going to do is – is 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 make excuses, but I'm complaining. Well, I'm not complaining. Uh, people complain about going from here to there. It's like two hours. It's like two and a half hours, and it's a total. I mean, it, it's like there's never it, like traffic. It's like the Walking Dead. Okay, there's nothing from here to God's country. But you're talking about a two-and-a-half-hour trip. Think about how hard it is for people down the state, like my brother and his cronies in Tampa, okay? And, again, I'm not trying to make an excuse, but how many of these people are going to drive on October 7th for VATEC, then drive home, turn around and drive back on October 14th for Syracuse, drive home, turn around and drive back on October 21st against Duke, okay? My my guess is that a lot of people here will do it. But are they going to do it in the mid part of the state? Are they going to do it in the southern part of the state? Are are, are they going to come from the panhandle, you know, way out Pensacola area? We're going to see. It's been a long time since we've talked about this because they haven't played well. I still think you win, you draw. But three in a row at home is good for the team. I don't know if it's good for – it's not good for the fan base. That's the point I'm trying to make. All right, then you have Wake on the road, Pitt on the road. That's – that one could really be interesting. And again, they can't beat Wake. Wake owns them right now. So those are two formidable games. Miami at home on the 11th, uh, North Alabama at home on the 18th, and they go to Florida to wrap up the season on November. 25th. Which is not the day after Thanksgiving. That That's only for uh, games in Tallahassee. Yeah, I think that's the first time they did it on a Friday. It'll be like that next year again. You know that? I'm, yeah, wasn't that part of the deal? I, Every other year it's going to be on that Friday. I do not I do not believe that's the case. Okay. We'll have to look at that. I thought it was a one-year scenario on that Friday. I hated it. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of it either. But so there you go. Schedules in. Uh, you know, there's some noticeable absent teams this year, like, you know, North Carolina State. And, you know, as you are aware of, the divisions have left. It's no longer going to be the Atlantic Coast Conference Atlantic and the Atlantic Coast Conference Coastal. Um So Florida I, State and Clemson could play again. Yep. Yeah. I did notice that, you know, the toughest team in the ACC is Clemson. Florida State ranked higher this year, but Clemson has been the beast 
for the last decade. Or, you know, going back to, yeah, 2013 when Florida State won a national title. I do find it interesting that both Florida State and Miami have Clemson this year. You Which know. is rare. Miami hasn't played Clemson at home since uh, Al Golden's last game, where he lost by 50 points at home. Is that so? Yeah. I was at that game. <laughs> I left at halftime. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen anything about this game going back to a Friday after Thanksgiving, so you're correct about that. Mm-hmm. All right. We got much more to do. If you want to comment on that, best way to do it is on the text line. That number is 641 Into the Night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. All right, tomorrow night, 6 to 8. Thursday and Friday night as well, 6 to 8. Plenty to do. No doubt about it. Senior Bowl coming up. Be a little bit from there. <clears throat> Didn't feel like there's as many top prospects at this year's Senior Bowl. Uh, the cap has been... Certainly discuss an awful lot as of late. For those of you who do not know, we talked about it a little bit yesterday. The cap has been announced for 2023. $224.8 million. Let me double check, but I believe that is uh, the figure. Yes, 224.8. So that's up from $208.2 million a year ago. You, you look within the division, and right now Jacksonville is uh is twenty two million two hundred and seventeen thousand dollars above the cap. So they're gonna have to shave that by May fifteenth. And also Calvin Ridley, his contract is going to be added in fifteen days. We hope that is when he can actually I guess the technical way to say that would be he is able to apply for reinstatement on that date. I, I don't believe his contract will actually come into play until a month later on March 15th. At that particular time, you have to have your roster set under the $224.8 million uh, cap. Uh, Also within the division, right now, the Houston Texans, who today announced that D'Amico Ryans will take over as their head coach. Houston has $39,289 million million uh, above the cap. At this particular time. So they got about $40 million to play with. That's scary. Colts, $13 million, uh, just a shade over it, 71000 So a, a little bit uh, to play with there uh, with Indianapolis. And then the Tennessee Titans in worse shape right now than Jacksonville. You're talking about thousand. Over the cap, again, the Titans are 30th in the NFL. The Jaguars are 28th in the NFL. This is where it gets complicated, okay? I mean, I, I know a little bit about the cap. I, I, I don't know a, a great deal about it, but just to kind of express things in, in uh, the most ordinary of ways, Okay. I gave you this example so many times a year ago. It was not a good 2021 for Rayshon Jenkins, Shaq Griffin, or Roy Robertson Harris uh, for a lot of different reasons, primarily health. 
if you just wanted to wipe the slate clean and cut those three guys after one year, the dead cap money would have been over $40 million, okay? If you want to cut those three guys now, the dead cap money is going to be around $10 million. So in one year, $30 million gets shaved off in dead cap money, okay? Let's go to this year. And, again, what what becomes so evident is in year two, it's really difficult to make a move on a free agent if they did not perform well, okay? In year three, everything changes. And I just gave you the example of those three defensive players. You know, my guess is Shaq Griffin's going to get cut. Yeah, they're going to owe some dead cap money. I think it's like $4.5 million or something like that. As a matter of fact, I can tell you right now, um, Shaq Griffin's cap number is $17,147 million, $17,147,000. It's, there's a $4 million dead cap fee. So that means Jacksonville is going to be able to shave $13,147,000 uh, to their cap figure, but they're going to have to pay or, or eat you know, $4 million worth of, of dead cap money, right? Last year's dead cap money was already over $30 million. I mean, they were paying like Joe Schobert $9 million. They were playing like Miles Jack $8 million. It was incredible. Right now, you have three guys on it. Chenault, Tufele, and Junior. And right now, your dead cap money is $1.4 million. That's really good. But, th- but that's, that's going to change. And obviously, $4 million worth is going to be added here uh, for Shaq Griffin. But w- look at the top four players. What do they have in common? They were all free agents this past year. Okay, Cam Robinson was resigned, but or resigned. But but here's my point. Much like Roy Robertson Harris, Shaq Griffin, and Rayshon Jenkins of a year ago, you can't do anything with Christian Kirk, Cam Robinson, Brandon Sheriff, Foye Aluakan, uh, Folo Fatakasa, even if you wanted to. You can't because of their figures. Case in point, Christian Kirk is the Highest paid member of the Jaguars this year. He's got a cap number of $23 million. You can't cut him. If you did, the team would pay a cap figure of $30,500,000. Okay? That would be the dead cap. Cam Robinson. Every single show I do, I get the obligatory move Cam Robinson and so-and-so and get this guy. You can't, okay? You're in bed with Cam Robinson for at least two more years because of this contract, okay? His figure this year is $22,117,000. If you were to move him, you would eat a dead money cap figure of $26 million. So you can't, okay? Brandon Sheriff, and there were some reports that he actually had surgery yesterday on his, you know, the hernia, the the abdomen issue. I, I wasn't able to confirm that. I didn't call the Jaguars or anything. I just didn't. You know, I figured it was going to happen, um, and, and the sooner the better. Of course, Cam had surgery as well. That's going back about, what, five, six weeks ago. But with Brandon Sheriff, cap figure, $20 million. The dead money, $23 million. $500,000. Big foyer. Okay? Cap figure, 
you look at the dead money, 22-3. So you're stuck with those players for one year. And when you get to 2024, just to kind of explain my way through it, I said Cam Robinson, you stuck with him for two more years. That was actually incorrect. You can cut Cam Robinson next year at this time, and his cap, his dead money is only $5 million. Yet his cap figure is $22,750,000. So if he doesn't play well, you can save $17,750,000. You have to eat five of it. You do. But if he doesn't play well, you can also save nearly $18 million. So you see how that changes? Christian Kirk in a year. What did we say it was this year? We said it was 30500000 as far as the dead money that would hit if they were to let him go. And then obviously not. Next year, that drops to $10 million. Okay? Brandon Sheriff next year. It drops to $5 million. Brandon Sheriff this year is 23-5. Next year, it drops to 5. Foyer, next year, it drops to 4.1. Big Folo, next year, it drops to 3.3. So, understanding the cap is complex. And I know I sound like a Trent Bulky apologist, and trust me, I'm not. But for those of you who believe or listen to anyone else who tells you that Trent Bulky does not know what he is doing and does not know how to manage the cap, dead wrong. It's year two that is the very expensive year. And again, it happened with those three defensive guys. And look how that turned. You know, a year ago at this point, I was convinced that those three wouldn't return. Halfway through the season, I was convinced that two wouldn't. Rayshon kind of got to us early, like, yeah, you better find a way to do him, get him signed up, you know, extend him, give him some bonus money. You do that with him, it's going to be the same deal. He's going to be on the cheap this year. They're going to be able to recoup money used elsewhere. It'll grow during his second year. And then I got to believe it's a third, uh, at least a three-year deal. We're in year three, you can get out. So this is genius by Balky and his people. With these three- and four-year contracts, every single one that you read, you are able to get out of it in year three. Pretty fascinating stuff. Don't always look at the years and the money. Pay attention to the guaranteed money and then take advantage of the resources that are out there and really look at the future dead money because that is when you're going to end up deciding Uh, whether or not to keep a guy, let him go, or meet in the middle and restructure and give them a newer contract. All right, there you go. Very glad it's there. Just wanted to get that out because, um, you know, I mean, that's where we're headed. That legal tampering period is going to be here in about six weeks. It's amazing. I can't believe tomorrow's February. you got to be kidding me. Well, it feels like May outside. Today it does. It but was hot the last couple of days. I love it. Let's stay so skinny, man. I'm out there sweating. But, um, you know, it feels like yesterday was Christmas. And now here it is. We're heading to 
February 1st. Playoff football do that to you. It really does. It's changed. I mean, we're 85 days away from the draft. I, I haven't even... I haven't even mentioned one word yet about the NFL. It, it, I almost feel like a kid, like, you know, on Christmas Day, maybe you save the biggest present for last. Or so, It's like, it's going to be such a treat to talk about the draft, and we haven't even done it yet because we haven't needed to because things have been so relevant around here. But, but that's coming, man. That draft talk will be here before you know it. And obviously a month before that, you've you've got free agency. The only disappointment for Jaguar fans this year, and, and you you got to deal with it. I just gave you the reason why where you're tight with money. You know, I'll come back and actually spend a minute on this. But Jacksonville's not going to be big players. I can't see how they are. Uh, there was a list today. I think I saw it on uh, ESPN's Top 50 a list of free aids. As a matter of fact, let me hold that for the other side. I'll have a couple of comments on that. Again, if you want to jump into the conversation, best way to do so is on our text line. That number is 641-1010, and it is brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. Into the Night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. All right, closing thoughts. Hacker Nation will join you at the top of the hour. We'll be with you tomorrow night, Thursday night, Friday night from 6 until 8. Uh, And we're going to be talking about this so much, but isn't it fun now to, to be more than relevant? So... You know, instead of just slashing guys and saying that they suck, <laughs> I mean, these this all of a sudden becomes like a very difficult decision that the organization is going to have to make player after player. If you just gutted this thing, okay, you know, if you were just thinking, all right, we got all we could out of these players and it's time to go younger and – you know, maybe you can recoup all this cash. Maybe you can at least get one premier free agent. Anyway, here is the money that you would recoup if you say goodbye to these players. This is the top money that would be available. Obviously, Shaq Griffin is gone. Thirteen million one hundred forty-seven thousand done. Okay, after that, it's Rayshon Jenkins, six million five hundred thousand. Roy Robertson Harris is actually ahead of Rayshon. That's seven million eight hundred thousand. Well, that's twenty. That's twenty six. You're getting them to the twenty seven, twenty eight million range with those three players. Jamal Agnew. He's got a cap figure of five million eight hundred eighty one thousand. If you cut him, you save four million seven hundred and fourteen thousand dollars you would have a a dead money that you would have to eat of 1.16 but where are you with jamal agnew do do, do you let him play that out for that wage man that's a cap figure of of nearly 5.9 million for a role player you know a guy that i'm a huge fan of okay you look at what he did in the return game before that fumble 
And I know you can make the case that with a game on the line, why you go into someone like Jamal Agnew, yet if he scored that touchdown, no one would have said a word. So, you know, it's whatever. But I would... I think that has to be put into consideration if they need that money to redo Taylor. They need that money to redo Ingram or redo an Arden Key or something like that. So so those are the four. And, it, you know, it's the one enormous one with Griffin, two really big ones with Harris and Jenkins. And then you get to the Agnew one. Now, again, they could maybe restructure that, make this year next to nothing and in, in add two years. Uh, Caleb on chase on. Man, is this right? Nothing at all for releasing him? Uh, let's see. Yeah, I mean, you'd have a dead cap figure here of 4246000 Let me see if that changes post-June 1st. Caleb on chase on. Uh, it remains the same. This doesn't make any sense. His cap figure is the same as the dead cap money. Let's make sure I got this 2023. Yeah. So I heard a lot of talk that he's gone. He's done. Uh, financially right now, it really doesn't make any sense to to do anything um, as, as far as the loss uh, there with, with Caleb on chase on zero money you would recoup. Man, what a bad contract. And that was a rookie contract. Nothing else you could do with it. Uh, Tyler Shatley, $2,950,000. Possibly. He's a 10-year vet now, right? Possibly. I mean, he's got a cap figure of $3.45 million. Ben Barch returns, and there's a lot of talk that maybe even in the first round, Jacksonville could go get a left guard. So do you play a guy who gave you 14 starts, has been here forever, he's the longest 10-year Jaguar, but he's got a cap figure of $3.5 million. Do you want to pay a backup offensive lineman $3.5 million? Or maybe they're saying right now, you know what? Say whatever you want about Tyler Shatley. As far as I'm concerned, he's going to remain the starting left guard. If he stays as a starting left guard at $3.5 million, that's a bargain. But I'm kind of looking at it that he's not. That's something else to consider. Devon Hamilton, final year of his rookie deal, $2.7 million. There's another guy that, you know, do you extend him in a year with all of those young guys coming up? Or second-year players now will be at the end of their third year. Obviously, we've talked about redoing Trevor. Devon Hamilton has played uh, as a guy that certainly you would think is going to stick around a little bit. Same exact figure for Ben Barch. And that's basically it. Uh, Quarterman, Quarterman could go. You could save just over a million dollars for Quarterman. Okay, he's got a cap figure of one million one hundred thirty-three thousand uh, dollars. You don't have to pay one hundred twenty-three grand, and you could you could bring back a million. So the, the, you know, he's a special teamer. Look at the play he made that fumble on 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 Derrick Henry. Uh, you know, I. I just don't know. Chris Claybrooks is another guy. Same exact situation. If you cut Chris Claybrooks, your cap, your dead money would be $25,000, okay? And you would bring back a million, just over a million dollars. How do they even come up with it when it's that small? I don't know. I, I do. I'm, I'm trusting. It'll be $25 if you cut Chris Claybrooks. Who has to go and collect that? Right. 
I'm I'm trusting these numbers. Um. So there you have it. I mean, they could say goodbye to some other guys and bring. You could say goodbye to Caleb Johnson and bring back nine hundred and forty thousand dollars. But you know, you got to turn around and get guys, and they're not all on the cheap. So anyway, that's just a brief way of looking at this, and we're going to spend a great deal of time on it uh, as we do move forward. But what is tricky is that they know how to figure it out. They know how to restructure, and as Trent Bulky said, cash is more important than the cap. And Shad Khan, ladies and gentlemen, he's got cash and plenty of it. For JJ, I'm Rick Ballou. We'll talk tomorrow night at 6 o'clock.